Welcome to Dream Chasers Radio, where we are always daring to be different. Get ready, get ready, get ready to be inspired. Let's get moving toward our goals. And here to make that happen is our host, Yaya Diamond. Today, I mean, it's it's uh, it, you know, in the heels of a tragedy, my prayers and thoughts go out to all those who lost someone at that synagogue shooting uh, yesterday. <laughs> this is this needs to stop. I'm just saying. I mean, you know, just because you're different, because you come from a different country, you're a different color, uh, religion. You know what? We're all humans experience experiencing the human experience and we need to understand that we are intertwined with each other and and there really truly is no difference between any of us except for the quantity of the melanin in our skin and uh, if people take offense to you know something that can't be controlled uh, or the place where we come from or where we were born or what we were born into then that is a tragedy within itself and my prayers and thoughts go out to all those uh, morning today. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, I welcome you here. We're you're listening to us on 97.5 FM Real Community Radio in Northport, Florida, as well as on Community Radio in New York City, and the Dream Chasers Radio Network and the Caribbean Community Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We have a wonderful show for you today. We have today's going to be a, a show about authors. It's also going to be about just different things, and and um, we're just going to go right into the show because I, I feel like. You know, this this next interview with Miss Marcy Stone is going to be something of a pivotal moment for a lot of people and maybe even a moment to release and let go of, of uh, a lot of different things that maybe have passed in their lives. And I want to welcome Miss Marcy Stone to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is a pleasure. So so tell me about... Tell me about your book. Tell tell me about why you wrote The Voice of an Angel, A Mother's Guide to Grief, and How to Thrive After the Loss of a Child. I wrote the book because my daughter was, I say taken, but the truest sense of the word is she was killed on um, Christmas Eve day, December 2016. A drunk driver, she was a passenger. And... I say that very, it sounds like I say that very easily. Um, I very rarely do I go into more detail than that. Uh, Otherwise you won't be able to understand anything I say. (laughs) Um, The reason for the book is because when I went out searching in my numbness for guidance, how to survive this, I found nothing that resonated with me, nothing of any positive nature. It was okay you're here now and you're going to be here and that's pretty much the end of it. And that just wasn't going to be good for me. I'm a survivor. I like to make a difference in the world and there's no way in the world my daughter, Sydney, who is now in heaven watching over me was going to accept that for me. So Mm -hmm. she told me to journal and I've been journaling ever since. And she also told me I was going to be writing a book and here we are. She was right. She usually was. (laughs) (laughs) It is, um, the memories that you that you have with your daughter are priceless, and you know, and I and and I am sorry uh, for your loss, definitely. But you know, like you say, she's with you in spirit. Um, 
tell us about the grieving process that you went through. And because you couldn't find anything, how, I mean, how did you begin this journey like that? Um, that's something that's, you know, obviously is not on the Internet. It's not been done. How did you do this? I was very fortunate that my relationship with both of my daughters, I am very fortunate, I should say, that our relationship is incredibly, incredibly close. So my guidance that I was receiving from my daughter, Sydney, was immediate after she passed away. Uh, She guided me on what to do. Mama, you know, lean into the love, feel the pain. Most people, when you have this tragedy, you want to close up, lock down, block your heart. And that was the exact opposite of what she was guiding me to do. Um, So I really Mm. took a lot of my, all of my guidance from her, really. Uh, for those of people that don't believe in um, having be, having a relationship with someone that's crossed over, I'm not sure how they would make a journey like this. I'm right. not really – that actually – I actually I feel for them. I hope that through listening to this, if they don't have that kind of relationship, that perhaps they open themselves up to it. Hmm. That's just one wow. of many ways. But she was my guidance. She really, truly was. Wow. And And, you, you know – you still have your other daughter. Uh, it's got to be a blessing to you to see that love. How how did you help her get through this? I remember sitting in my living room with a police officer behind me and my older daughter, Aubrey, um, walking through the doors, crying, just clutching at me. And that at that split second, I realized that she is going to be my raison d'etre, my reason for living, my reason for moving forward, that I needed to do everything I, need, I had to do in order to make her feel that we were going to make it through this and I was going to help her see the balance of grieving versus moving forward in healthy and positive ways, that it was going to be possible. So between my older daughter meeting me here on earth and my younger daughter guiding me on how to do all of that. My children have saved me through multiple things in my lifetime. And I felt like it was my turn and it happened in such a split second to look back and go, wow, how did I do that? It took me a little while to figure it out. Um, but she absolutely was, is my raison d'etre continues to be. Wow. Wow. So I, I see you, you have some life mantra, some, some core values uh, take pride in all you do, finish what you start. How how did you get, was, is this an original thing that you kind of went through as you, you know, as you progress, or is it something that you got that just kind of helped you? It was something that when the girls and I became we three, so that was probably year 2004 uh, when my divorce was final, we made a pact to one another that we were going to live life differently. And Mm -hmm. we came up with these things. I called them core values. They went along with me. But it just seemed logical. Things that we were going to do, being honest with ourselves, uh, compassion for one another, communicating unconditionally. That was a really, really big one. I needed to make sure they understood. They could say anything they needed to say to me. We established what I called a roundtable. I'll spare you the first word. Um, The biatch roundtable, if if I'm allowed to say that on radio. And we had... Uh It was the opportunity to say anything they needed to say because they helped me raise them. I didn't know what I was doing. I've never, never planned on any of this. Um, 
So the core values changed somewhat after losing Sydney. They became a little bit more survival-like, if you will, and they'll change again as we get into more of a thriving, which I'm starting to move into that process now. But it was something that I was able to carry over that also now Aubrey, because we've lived that, it was easy for me to say, okay, this is how we're going to change it now so that we make it through this leg of the journey. Um, mm-hmm. Super helpful. Hmm. Wow. Wow. I, I, I commend you, first of all. It's not easy to sit down and, and take, you know, that spiritual guidance from your daughter who has moved on and put it in a book. Were there times where, you know, you, you had to put it down that you just couldn't continue? Um, that's a really good question. I'm going to tell you that it was probably more the opposite. I'm going to get choked Mm. up here. I apologize in advance. I felt so connected to her when I was writing that I didn't want to stop writing. So that when the book came to be completed, I had this, okay, now what feeling? Because I was like, all right, well, does that mean she's going to go away? Does that mean that our mission now is done and she's not going to continue to communicate with me? Um, I just, so it was really the opposite, as strange as that may sound. No, actually, it makes sense because, you know, it's an urgency to get it out there. You know, when you finish the book and after you had, you know, gotten through the whole, I, I would say, traumatization, what was the next goal? Was it to help other parents out there? Or was it all always that goal, to help other parents? That was always my goal. Uh, Being a life coach, I I believe that I was put on this earth service to others. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you that when I was younger, I knew what that meant. But as I got older, it made more sense to me. So when this happened, and I remember in one of my dreams, Sydney came to me and she's like, Mama, and I actually put this in the book somewhere, there's people out there, there's other moms out there that are going to experience this, that are going to need this guidance. They're going to be like-minded like you. They're going to need to have somewhere to turn. You need to do this for them. And so it gave me some comfort knowing that there are people that might find some comfort in this or maybe not even feel alone. It's a very lonely place. Mm -hmm. As I'm, you know, it's just uh, so definitely. And there's there's comfort for me in knowing that they might find comfort. Right. There's actually a whole part in the book about service because I believe service there's not enough of that in our everyday as it as a regular life, but when you lose someone, I find that service is critically important because then you have the ability not only to help someone else that serves you then when you come back into your life and you've had that fresh breath. You've had the opportunity to see someone else to to hear their hear their experiences, what they're going through, and all of a sudden it gives you a different perspective, and you come back and you're like, okay, my life is not as heavy. You know, everybody's going through something, right? Mm-hmm. You're right. And that just, it's a beautiful thing being able to help someone else. Yes, it is. It definitely is. Now, moving toward this positive 
aspect of the whole thing because, you know, I understand it, it, it came out from a very negative situation where, you know, drug driving is, is terrible as this year has claimed too many people, even a couple of people that I know. Um, right. But move on being positive and actually writing a book that will help other people through. What can people get from this book if, if need that they need this book? What What can they get from it? I would like to believe that they're left with a sense of hope, uh, the feeling of not being alone, uh, encouragement, um, that there's a way that they can, believe it or not, there is a way that they can recover for such an incredible tragedy. And I don't mean recover like you put it aside and, it's tucked away in your in your experiences. It's understanding that you will, in fact, always have this with you and finding mm-hmm. positive ways to carry it versus having a backpack. You imagine a visual of a backpack with boulder It's this heavy, negative, uh, dreadful weight, and it's taking the goodness from the relationship, from the love that you have from the person that you lost and carrying that instead. That mm-hmm. has been paramount for me. Grief yeah. really under makes you understand the power of love. Hmm. It does. It really does. It really does. And I mean, I, I totally. I, I'm just. I'm. I'm with you all the way on this. When you finished writing this book and you published it out, what did your daughter say to you? Which one? <laughs> They both said something. Either, both, both. What did they say? So Aubrey, through the process, I included her through the entire process. I wanted her to understand. I wanted her to be comfortable with what I was writing because I understood that she most likely isn't going to be able to read the book for any time in the future. It's just too hard for her. It was her baby Mm -hmm. sister, her best friend. Um, But knowing that I'm doing this, there's an there's a power or an empowerment for her that she's seeing me take the the best course possible that it's going to motivate her to do the same and I'm watching that and she's doing beautiful things with her life because of it and I'm really really super proud of her. My other mm-hmm. daughter uh, was a little bit of a smarty pants and says, "Okay, Mama, don't think you're done. Celebrate <laughs> just for a little bit, but we've got stuff. We're going to keep on moving. How are we going to get this out there? How are we?" It's almost like she's my my angel publisher my angel marketer my angel um she's like what's the next book how are we going to keep getting the message out there how are you going to keep touching people she's a little bit of a slave driver Hmm. but she does it with she has a sense of humor and she has she's always had this sarcastic wit about her and this twinkle about her that you just couldn't wait for the next bossy (laughs) i mean that so endearing um that you're i wait for the next um direction i'll even say to her okay so this is what i was thinking about like the next book thinking about a cookbook uh people bring in their recipes and then we veganize them so they're getting quote unquote the best of both worlds and she's like mom i love it (laughs) so it's like we have conversations so um i know there's probably some people out there that think that i'm crazy because of that but that's okay it gives me great comfort so both my girls are on board completely 100 percent supportive just as i am of them Yes, definitely, definitely. You know, um, wow. 
this turns out to be such a wonderful, positive outlook on life for you, for both your, your daughters, and moving forward from other people. How does that make you feel? So let me just caveat this by saying I still have, and I know I will always have, bad moments, hard days. Yeah. I wake up angry sometimes, I know, but I know what to do with it. But with that said, because I don't want people to think, oh, well, she's over it and it's done, and that's not the case. Um, right. But I am incredibly, I'm going to even say, and this was a hard thing for me to come to terms with, I'm proud of myself because, the loss is so incredibly traumatic and to be mm-hmm. where I am, you know, there's, I believe that there's something to be said for that. And what that means to me is that the three of us, my girls and I led such an incredible life together. Now I will tell you a little, we, I was given a message that I wasn't going to have Sydney forever. I, when she was younger so I sat down with the girls and we had a little chat and, you know, they used to call me crazy names, you know, crazy, but they took what I said and they took it seriously. I'm like, all right, we're going to make a pact here. We're not going to ever talk about this again, but we're going to make sure we live a life with no regrets. We're going to do everything. Right. We're not going to, and that's what we did. So mm. would I have rathered another 10 years? Absolutely. But because this mm-hmm. is what we chose, being able to say that I've lived that life with no regrets, that's actually really been healing for me to make it through, be able to take the guidance that she's providing me, be able to share it with other people because I don't look back and go, oh, darn, I wish. And that would be pointless mm-hmm. anyway. But there's a, a really nice deep breath that comes with that realization, hmm. if that makes any sense. It does. It didn't. Well, makes it so all possible. Book. Definitely, you know. You know um, wow, your book. How can people get your book? I self-published, so it is on Amazon as a Kindle and a paperback, or they could. Email me, and I'd be more than happy to send somebody a copy. Right. And also, MarcyStone.com, will they be able to get it there? Absolutely, yes. It could be and directs you right to the book. There's some great stories on there and some great pictures of Sydney and my other daughter, Aubrey, who when you see the two of them together, Aubrey is always arms around her sister. They're always smiling, and we just really did have this fabulous. But there's some really beautiful pictures on there if anybody's curious. Yeah, I saw them. I thought they were wonderful. Aren't they adorable? <laughs> I like, I like the one with her inside of the uh, clothes basket. <laughs> oh yeah, one of her favorite places oh. when she was a kid. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, I wish nothing but the best for you, and and also, you know, I understand how it feels to lose someone so very dear and so unique. Um, you know, and, and also to live your life afterwards. It's it's not like you said. There are going to be days, but I think, um, and I and I hope that I'm not speaking this too soon. I think that you're going to touch so many people by your book and just by, you know, your experience and 
and your love and compassion for other people through your own loss that uh, I don't, it'll never make up for, but it'll definitely, definitely bring some love and joy in her memory. From your lips to God's ears, I absolutely <laughs> hope that that is the truth because it brings purpose to all of this. Yes. Yes, it does. And I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Is there anything else you'd like to say to the listeners today? Uh, one thing that we didn't really, we didn't cover, and that is forgiveness. I'd like everybody uh. to take one thing in their life that's happening in their life right now and find forgiveness for themselves within that one thing. Just one. Lighten your load a little bit. Forgiveness is another thing that would I would have never gotten to where I am without forgiveness. So that's huge. Yeah, one thing. I, I think, yeah, that's definitely huge for everybody. Especially me, especially people who hold grieves. You know, they they hold they hold like grudge. Yes. Uh, so you're not hurting the person you're holding the grudge against. You're hurting yourself. That's right. You're right. Well, off my I want to my soapbox. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. I told my husband the other day. I said, "Okay, I'm going to go off my soapbox now." That's <laughs> <laughs> my thing, right? Yeah. The soapbox. <laughs> Thank you so much for being a guest on Dream Cases Radio. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for having me as a guest. It was uh, nothing better for me than to be able to get the book out there and help as many people as possible. I truly am grateful. Thank you. Definitely, definitely. Thank you. All right, until next time, you let us know when that cook comes out. I will for short. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Take care. What a wonderful interview. What a wonderful person to share her life, her tragedy, her moments, her ups, her downs, and her loss with all of us is nothing but extraordinary. Strong strength. Definitely someone who, even though, will still do it. And I want to thank Miss Marcy Stone for being on the show and for bringing the book, The Voice of an Angel, A Mother's Guide to Grief and How to Thrive After the Loss of a Child. You can go ahead and go to marcystone.com and look at those wonderful pictures of her daughter. And if you're interested, you can also get the book. Thank you again so much, Marcy Stone, for being on the show. We're going to take a short break. And we'll be right back. Don't you go nowhere. You've been listening to Dream Chasers Radio with me, your host, Yaya Diamond. inspiration and when there's inspiration there's no one else out there except you know those that are doing what they're doing because of the love and because they want to help 
Uh, I know I've played this before, but I'm going to play it again because, you know, we are forgetful people. We do forget. And so here is Miss Lisa Nichols with Change Your Life. I'm in Inglewood living off Arborvita. I'm on government assistance, and I run out of money, and I have to buy Pampers for Jelani. And I had $11.42 in the bank. And I remember wrapping my son in a towel for two days. You know, someone said, because when I tell the story, I always get teary-eyed. And someone said, do you fabricate the tears because you've told the story so much? No, I'm a mama. Every time I tell the story, I feel it again. I remember the second day, like you said, I had my, my hand on Jelani's stomach and I said, don't worry, baby. Mommy will never be this broke or broken again. And that day, what shifted for me was I was willing, and I don't know if this is going to sound crazy, I was willing to completely die to any form of me that I had been so that I can birth the woman that I was becoming. The reason why a lot of people won't become who they want is because they're too attached to who they've been. And you hear it all the time when people say, I've always been this way. Okay, well, if that's working for you, keep doing that. I knew it wasn't working for me any longer. I had hit my version of rock bottom. So I was willing to let go of everything and everybody. See, another reason why people won't get there is because the doorway is for you to fit through. You're trying to carry everybody else through because you're trying to be rescue 911. And you got to rescue you first. I am much more valuable to my family and to my community because I was willing to let them go. Go through the door myself. Teach myself, learn myself, condition myself, and then come back and get them. I'm much more valuable to them now. But I had to go through a window time of 10 years of judgment. You leaving us, hanging out with white people all the time. You going to these crazy countries. We, we don't know what you... I, I had to be willing to, to allow my conviction to make me inconvenienced. See, we want to grow, but we want to stay liked by everybody. I was willing to be my own rescue at the risk of your approval. Most of us aren't like that. Facebook is an example. We want to be liked. Well, I woke up and I like myself today, so your like is extra. My, my job is to like me first. I was willing to say every day, Lisa, you like you? Lisa, are you proud of you? Lisa, are you playing full out? Every day before I checked in with anybody else. That's lonely, by the way. Why won't most people do it? Because it's scary and it's lonely. So what did I do? I was willing to find people who had what I didn't have, who were living lives that I wasn't living, who believed things that I didn't know about, and I was willing to become their student. I got up every day and I ate a slice of humble pie. See, when you get to this level, even me 10 years ago, you can get caught up by reading your own fine print. See, whenever I hear people reading my bio, when, before I came on and you read my bio, I'm in the back going, yeah, 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 yeah. Because I don't want to ever think I arrived. I don't ever, that bio is old. I, I, you should be interested in my future old. That's my bio. What's my future old? What are you doing? What am I, who am I becoming for 2020? 
And we get caught up in our bios. We get caught up in our status. I never allowed that to stop me from going and sitting at the hem of someone and saying, what do you know about wealth? See, because there's three forms to money. There's three relationships to money. We learn how to earn it, we learn how to keep it, and we learn how to grow it. Well, I, I learned how to earn it because my theme song was, I'm a hustler, baby, and I want you to know, everybody with me, it ain't where I've been, but what, where I'm about to go. So I was singing that song. <laughs> oh, God. They know, they know, right? I was singing that song when I was, I was in, working out of my closet as my office. I, w- I was in a walk-in closet where you really couldn't walk in. You stepped in and turned, right? <laughs> and, and, and the clothes rack, you know how you have the hanger rack. I had pant hangers in the closet, and I had manila folders clipping on the, the pant hangers. Those are my client files. And I would sit there, and I put two ninety-nine mirrors off that you get from CVS. I put them all around my closet walls so that I could make my, my office look bigger. I worked out of that closet office for four years singing that song. It ain't where I've been, but where I'm about to go. I knew that. I knew how to make money. I didn't know how to keep it, because ain't nobody had none in my family. So keeping wasn't an issue. Growing was never an issue. So I went to people who knew how to make it, keep it, grow it. I went to people who was about serving others to the highest level. See, I make a lot of money because I serve more people. See, all your success is on the other side of service. People are trying to make money. If it begins and ends with money, it's going to be a short-lived victory. But if it's about transforming lives, then the wind keeps going and going and growing and growing. So I went to people that knew what I didn't know. And I, I, I killed my ego every day, murdered my she-go every day. Because I got a big she-go. I mean, come on, right? Every day, Tom. And I got hungry and I learned. I went to the same training 42 times. Yes, I said 42. Some folk will stop. So I've been there already. I learned that already. Yeah. No, I wasn't there. I wanted to be able to finish their sentences. I want to know what you know. I want to walk like you, talk like you, and then I want to embed me in it. But success leaves clues. We're just not picking them up. I was the only African-American person at this conference. I was one of two women at this conference. Within the last 29 sessions, I led the conference but I was willing to be the student first. So that's what I did, number one. And number two, I looked at every toxic behavior in my life. Everyone. You see me go behind my own black curtain. People don't want to tell on yourself. You're trying to protect. You're trying to do four things. You're trying to protect, prove, hide, and defend. If you wake up every day and say, I have nothing to protect. I have nothing to prove. I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to defend. Now, who do I choose to be? Because your energy is consumed with protecting, proving, hiding, and defending. But if you let go of that, then now you're in creation. Every day I told myself that. Every day I got in the mirror and I said three sentences. And I gave each sentence seven different endings. And at times I was crying so hard I couldn't understand myself because the ending, the sentence was so difficult to say. Every day I looked in the mirror and said, Lisa, I'm proud that you. And I found seven different things to celebrate Lisa for because we are under-celebrated. Because you want someone to celebrate you more than you celebrate yourself. You want to hear thank you from others more than you're thanking yourself. You want to hear other people say I love you more than you saying I love yourself. You are teaching the world. I set this on Oprah. When I set this on Oprah, she said, oh, my God, I believe the exact same thing. So I knew I had one thing right. (laughs) (laughs) The world is looking at you and following your example of how to treat you, how to treat you. 
They're following your example of how to treat you. So how you treat you, the world's going to follow your lead. So I had to start treating Lisa better because I was everything for everybody but nothing for myself. And so every day I got in the mirror and I completed three sentences. Lisa, I'm proud of you for. Second thing, Lisa, I forgive you for. That one took me down daily because I'd had a son with a man who's now in prison, my biggest nightmare, my greatest nightmare. I had been in a relationship that turned mentally and then physically abusive when my son was three years old. I made money but lost it. I was on government assistance. I was on welfare. I was on WIC, women, infant, and children. I got a lot of forgiveness that I had to do. But I was willing to forgive myself every day. And every day I said the same thing for like six months until it got easier. And then one day I went, Lisa, I forgive you for it. And that thing didn't come up anymore. I was like, ooh, okay, on to the next. Seven different endings. And the last thing I did every day, last sentence, is Lisa, I commit to you that. Because we make bigger commitments to other people. If I commit to y'all something, ride or die, you can bet your last dime that I'm going to be there. I'm going to show up. You're going to get two dimes. But I would make commitments for me, for myself, and I wouldn't do it. I eat my weight. So I started every day celebrating Lisa, forgiving Lisa, and making a commitment to Lisa. And then I was willing to invest money in me. I I was willing to invest money in me. Literally. 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 I worked at L.A. Unified School District. And I knew I couldn't stay there because they needed a degree. I didn't have a degree. They didn't seem happy. I wanted to be happy. So I would I would have my son at daycare during the day. I'd work nine hours. I'd pick him up from daycare, take him back to my office. I take a 30-minute break from 6 o'clock to 6.30 to go get him. I start working from 6.30 until midnight every day at my office on me, every day. Put my son on a little, you know, primary color blanket, something to occupy him. Give him toys that I took the batteries out of so he'd be confused for a little while trying to figure out (laughs) why they're not working. I'm I'm serious. And I, I did it every day, every day, every day. I stopped going out to dinner. I stopped going out dancing. I stopped getting my nails done, stopped getting my hair done. And every two weeks when Ella Unified paid me, I wrote a check to my dream. And I wrote in the memo line, funding my dream. And I would, I would mail the check to the bank, Wells Fargo. And I mailed a check to myself every two weeks for three and a half years. My family thought, you know, thought I was smoking on drugs. <laughs> like she ain't going out. She not. She eating beanies and weenies all week. She, she, we think she on drugs, but she's not getting any smaller, so maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I went to the bank after three and a half years. This is the story you're talking about. I walked in the bank. I said, I'm just gonna check. And see where that account is, because I wouldn't open the I wouldn't open the statements, because my mother used to say when I was growing up, "Girl, this money burning my pocket," and I'm like, "Um, oh, I think money hot and it goes." <laughs> and it, thank you, thank you so much, and it goes away fast. So I'm not gonna open the statement because I don't want to know how much money I have, because I didn't have a healthy relationship to money. I didn't even know a relationship with money. So while I'm at these trainings, uh, they just kept saying save. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna save. I didn't need the money. Um, that I was writing checks for because it was the money I used on my nails and my hair. And then every check I wrote to myself, I made a challenge with myself that it had to be 5% more than the next check. 
wow. than the previous check. So I, and I didn't really know how to calculate the five percent. So I'm like, well, I'll just add thirty dollars. I'll just add sixty. I really didn't know anything about it. Then I went out and got a second job, and I started working in the evenings less on my business and more out on jobs, so I can write a bigger check. So I learned how to live on thirty-one thousand dollars. That's all I was living on thirty-one thousand dollars. We can make it. We got it. I sold my Altima. I had at the time. I bought an old Ford Explorer. You know, I just, I just, I just skinny down. I moved out of my three-bedroom house. I moved in with a roommate. She smoked even, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna put towels under the base of the door, y'all. You gotta be inconvenienced. I put towels on the base of the door so the smoke wouldn't come in the room with me and my son. We slept side by side in the same bed. Went from a three-bedroom, you know, three-bathroom house, two-story, to a roommate, you know, because I was willing to write a check to fund my dream. And I kept writing, funding my dream, funding my dream, funding my dream. And I walked into Wells Fargo three and a half years later, and I, I gave her my name. I said, hi, my name is Lisa Nichols. And she's like, you the funding my dream lady. <laughs> and I was like... Yeah. <laughs> so all these tellers came running around. The manager came around because I guess everybody had processed a check or two. Right. And <laughs> they were like, we all been wondering. Like, everybody wants to know, what's the dream you funded? And I was like, I don't know, but it's going to cost some money. <laughs> I think I got a little money now to fund the dream. And so I said, I just came to get my balance and to see where it is because I, I haven't opened any of the statements. They were like, what? But no, I haven't opened any of the statements because uh, money burns my mama's pocket, so it might burn my pocket, so I don't want to spend it. So she wrote the balance down. You know how they write the balance down, and she turned it and passed it to me, and I looked at it, and I said, no, ma'am, my name is Lisa Shante Nichols. <laughs> this is my social security number. I don't even want that money because y'all going to want it back, and I don't want to get in trouble, so can you just give me my account? You know, because I didn't know anyone in my family that had $5,000 in their account, $10,000 in the account. So when you write down that I have $62,500 in my account, that's not mine. And so they all teared up. Like, everybody started crying. They're like, no, it's yours. I looked down at my son, Jelani, who was five years old now, and I said, Jelani, I think life is going to change for you and mommy. <laughs> my son said... Mommy, can we finally go to McDonald's now? Because <laughs> so, I've been making them homemade Big Macs for a while. I was like, Mama, Mama can make you a better Big Mac than, you know, Ronald McDonald. <laughs> so, because I was, I was willing to inconvenience my entire life. My entire life. I was willing to disrupt my entire life to buy my future. To buy my possibility. To give my dream a chance. See, we're not supposed to tuck our dreams in on the, on the pillow when we get up in the morning. We're not supposed to leave them at home and go and fulfill somebody else's dream. We're not supposed to do that. That's not what we're wired to do. That's not who we are. Your human spirit doesn't care about the economy. The human spirit doesn't care that my son's father went to prison. My, the human spirit doesn't care what's happened to your family. The human spirit doesn't care about the past. You may have been molested or your family may have been broke or, or you may have been betrayed or you may have a divorce. Your human spirit doesn't care about any of that. Your human spirit simply says, What's our command for tomorrow? What do you want to create? It's not keeping score. Your brain is keeping score because your brain is designed to keep you safe. Your soul, your intuition, your human spirit is designed to make you soar. And when you get to the edge of that stage, I want to get up right now. Can I get up you right now? You whatever you want. Okay. Think when, I'm going to tell Lisa Dickens no? When, Come on now. When you get to the edge... Your brain will always tell you to step back 
It's always going to tell you to step back because you can fall. Always. It's going to tell you to step back because before you fail, the last time you did this, you saw someone else fail. You could hurt. You could be off work. It's going to tell you. It's designed to keep you safe. So you have to be willing to play between your brain and your soul. And on some days, you've got to just listen to your soul. And you've got to say, I'm going to leap. I'm going to get to the edge. Most people are at the edge. And you're standing at the edge. And you're watching everyone else fly. That's pit my ride. Watch my cribs. All this stuff. You know, watching people's lives on Facebook. You're at the edge watching someone else live. Wondering what it's going to be like when you jump without ever jumping. And I'm just here to tell you, jump. Because only three things can happen. You're either going to jump and fly. Are you going to jump and fall on something soft? Are you going to fall down hard? Either way, you're going to get back up. You already know you got what it takes to get back up. Your greatest fear is not that you will fall. Your greatest fear is that you will live a full life and never fly. That you never leap. You're not afraid of dying. You're afraid of dying before the world sees who you really are. Before they really get your fingerprint. Before they really feel your breath. Before they really get your contribution. Before they really feel you. That's what you don't want to happen. You don't want to leave this place without us knowing you were here. All I'm doing is giving my my dream a chance. And I'm not extraordinary. You don't get off the hook. You don't get to be let off the hook. I'm an ordinary woman who chooses every day to make one more extraordinary decision. You're a grinder. Yeah, right? Like fucking... One of the critics, actually, that I once met said, yeah, Tony's techniques, they were great for about a year and a half, and then they wore off. <laughs> what do you say to that folks? Well, it, it's real simple. If you don't work out, you don't get a, you don't get a muscle, right? right? So I always tell people, this is, there's a daily practice, like priming. If you don't do that, if you get up and you just have no discipline whatsoever, you get no value of anything. You know, diets don't work when you don't do them. Exercise doesn't work when you don't do them. But most of the people have some experiences that they want to shift and once you shift those things, your whole life changes. But life is constant growth. My life isn't here because I went to one seminar one time and now my life is fit for life. I, I work out, I train my mind, I train my body. It becomes a lifestyle. It's not just uh, like you're depending upon somebody else. I'm not here to become somebody's guru. I'm not here to give them a gift. I'm here for them to open up their own gifts. And that's really what my work has been. People who succeed in any situation have a pattern of what they do to succeed. And it doesn't matter whether that person is succeeding in a business context or in a relationship context. It doesn't matter what the environment is. The fundamental lessons or laws for succeeding are very, very basic. So if we're looking for the ultimate success formula, the very first thing we have is you'd have to know what you want, which we call know your outcome. If you're going to succeed at anything, it's hard to succeed, hard to hit a target when you don't know what it is. And as simplistic as this sounds, do, no, do most people really know what they want? What do you think, yes or no? At least not consciously they don't, right? And so it's going to be very, very difficult to achieve what you want when you haven't defined it. But this is going to become a question we're going to want you to ask yourself a lot. What is my outcome in this situation? I even have a time management system that I developed. It's really a life management system, which we call OPA, because the first O sounds for what's my outcome. Because you can come up with a question like, what should I do? And you're going to end up with a long list. But as you do all these things, what will happen is you can cross something off your list and still be unfulfilled and not really achieve anything that matters. So you'll say, what's my outcome first? Then you begin to decide what you need to do to get the outcome. So in this case, we want to say, what's your outcome? You want to make it a habit to ask this question a lot. 
You're in the middle of a conversation. Stop yourself if it seems to go nowhere and say, what's my outcome here? Do I want to connect? Do I want to influence this person? Do I want to learn something? What's your outcome? For example, how many of you have ever been caught up in an argument and you even forgot what you're arguing for, but you knew you had to win? How many have been there? Say I. Okay, if in the middle of that argument you were to ask yourself the question, what's my outcome here? I guarantee you your brain would say, well, my outcome is not to fight. My outcome is to resolve this. And as you get clear on what your real target is, your behavior will change automatically. So very, very few people know what they want. And the more you clear you can get about what you want, the more you can really achieve. You might write underneath this as the subset of number one, still number one, just write clarity is power. Clarity is power. The more clear you can become about what it is you really want, the more power you're going to have. Because your brain is like a servo mechanism in a, a bomb, as an example. When they send a missile out, it has a servo mechanism. It knows what the target is. And when the target moves, it follows it. Well, your brain is very similar. When you decide exactly what it is you want, you start picking up information that you never would have picked up before consciously. For example, have you ever bought a particular car, maybe, or maybe a certain outfit, and then all of a sudden you see that car or outfit everywhere? How many have had that experience? Say, I. Well, was that car outfit already around you all the time? Yeah, but you didn't notice it because there's a portion of your brain that is responsible for one thing, and that is screening out 99% of what you see, hear, and feel in life. Because if you were to notice everything that's going on in this room right now, you go start craving mad. But most of you don't. You pay attention to a small number of things. If you could right now notice what? Millions of things. You could notice my voice. You could listen to what I'm saying. You could notice what's going on in the background, the screens. You could hear the air conditioning. You could smell your neighbor off to all that jumping up and down. Notice that. Right? You could feel that maybe a little sweat trickling across your chest or whatever was going on after all that jumping up and down. You could feel the blood maybe vibrating or circulating through your left eardrum. But you don't think about those things. So maybe I mention them or something triggers it. So this part of our brain that's responsible for deleting most of our thoughts and most of the things that are going on around us, that part of our brain, when, you know, when it knows what you want, it makes you notice those things. You suddenly see that car because it's important. It's called the reticular activating system. You don't have to write all that down. For short, it's called RAS. The reticular activating system tells your brain what to pay attention to. So when you say, this is what I really want, now anything that relates to that that you wouldn't have noticed before will start popping up into your focus. And a lot of times people say, it's amazing. I decided this, and it was kind of you know, synchronicity. These things started popping up. Well, these things were probably around you before, but you never noticed them because you hadn't decided your outcome. Now, when you know your outcome, you're ahead of 95% of the population. But that's not enough. The second thing you got to know is a lot of times you know your outcome, but you lose your drive. You know, you want something, but you forget the most important thing, which is know why you want it. Know why you want it. You got to know the purpose. In our OPA training system, when people are managing their lives, we have them ask, what's my outcome? And then why do I want this? Because any person successful, really successful, knows exactly what they want and they know why. The reason you got to know why is, remember I said yesterday, reasons come first, answers come second. If you get enough reasons, you can get a big enough why, you can figure out how to do about anything. But you've got to have purpose because purpose provides drive. Now, if you know what you want and you know why, you're light years ahead of most of the population, but you've got to go the step that most people seem to avoid. And that is you've got to take massive what? That's right. And the key word there is massive. Massive action can be a cure-all win you know what you're after, and you know why you want it. Because when you know what you're after, when you take action, you won't just be expending energy. You'll be moving yourself in a direction towards something you really, really want. 
And by the way, last night we called taking massive action personal what? Power, which means the ability to take action. And what stops people from taking action? Primarily what? Fear. And the way you get over that fear is what do you think is the number one fear most people have? Failure. And the reason is they feel if they fail, they won't be loved. They'll be rejected. They'll be hurt. They'll be judged. So what they really are afraid of is losing love. And they think that this rejection, or I should say this failure, will lead to that rejection or loss of love. The truth of the matter is you can't fail unless you don't try. If you try something that doesn't work, you just learn from it, and that will make you better the next time you go about it. Now, if you know your outcome, know why you want it, and take massive action, you're now in the most small percentile of people on the planet. So what's the next step, though? Well, you can take a lot of action and get caught up in a pattern. Like, become so determined that you became like tunnel vision. Like, I know this is going to work. And so you keep running east looking for a sunset with total certainty and a lot of belief, high standards, still doesn't work. So what you have to be able to do to succeed so you don't get caught up in some old pattern is you've got to know what you're getting. Know what you are. Know what you're getting. The word we use for this as for short is we call it sensory acuity. Sensory acuity is the idea that you want to become acutely sensitive to whether what you're doing is working or not. You don't want to just say, okay, I know what I want, I know what I want, and I'm just going to make it happen, this is how I'm going to do it, and you keep hammering it and hammering it and hammering it, doing something that doesn't work. And people do this all the time, right? Do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. That's called insanity. You can't do the same thing again and again and expect a different result when you can see it doesn't get the result. But we get caught up in our patterns. So we want to get really sensitized, acutely sensitized, sensory acuity, to whether what we're doing is working or not. And by the way, sensory acuity is really the measure of a person's intelligence. What I mean by that is how do we measure intelligence? Intelligence is a measure of the number and quality of distinctions you have in a given situation. Like, for example, if you talk to Eskimos, that's actually not the politically correct term anymore. I guess it's in a way. If you talk to an in a way, what we formerly called Eskimos, you'd find out that in a way have more than a dozen words for the word snow. More than a dozen. Now, I'm from Southern California. Guess how many words I have for snow? One. I don't see any of it. It's called snow, baby. Right? But they've got to know what kind of snow. They've got to make more refined distinctions to be effective in the world, to get their outcomes. They've got to know what kind of snow you can build an igloo out of, what kind of snow you can take your dogs through, what kind of snow you can eat, right? what kind of snow you're going to fall through. So who has more intelligence, who has more power in that snowy environment, the Eskimo or me? Which one? Eskimo, because they have more sensory acuity. They have more refined distinctions about what each of these elements mean versus I just see it as snow. Now, if you took that Eskimo and you stuck him in my car in Los Angeles, then we'd find out that maybe I have a little more intelligence because he might try to steer the thing using the rearview mirror. Right? He just doesn't know. So since he doesn't have that acuity, he doesn't have those distinctions, he wouldn't do terribly well there. See, some people I could hold this up and I could say, what is this? And they'd say, well, it's a cylinder. Other people say, no, no, that's a blue, white, and black cylinder. Someone else says, no, no, that's a blue color marker. A few people say, no, 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 that's not just a blue color marker. That is a pilot, super color, bright and wide color marker, and if you get it in your clothes, it'll never come out. Now, which one of those people has more power? One, two, three, or four? Four, because they have the largest number of distinctions. So now, if you know your outcome, you know why you want it. You got your purpose. You got your drive. You got your A and OPA. This is outcome, purpose, action. You know the massive action, you're taking action, and you notice if it's working. What happens if you notice it's not working? You're taking action, but it's not getting you closer to your outcome. What's the obvious fifth step? The fifth step is change your approach. 
change your approach. If what you're doing, your cutie says, is not working, change it. Now, what if you change your approach and that's still not working? Then what would you do? What would you do? Come on, what would you do? Change it again. Keep yourself in a peak state. Sit up in your chair. Some of you have gone back into that deep hypnotic state of learning, I can see. And what if you tried that and it didn't work? Then what would you do? What if that doesn't work? What do you do? And what if that doesn't work? What do you do? What if that doesn't work? What do you do? What if after all that it still doesn't work? What do you do? And what if you try that and it doesn't work? How many times? Until you find out what works. Do not say to yourself, I've tried everything. That's bull. If you tried everything, you'd have what you want. Well, I haven't tried everything, but I've tried millions of things. Millions? Number them. Name them. Well, maybe tens of thousands. Tens of thousands? Name a thousand. Well, maybe a hundred. Name a hundred. Well, maybe I did these two things over and over again that don't work. Okay? But when we start saying, I've tried everything, we tend to encant that, don't we? We make it an incantation, and then we believe it. And since we think we've tried everything, we just give up. That's garbage. Not true. Hey, let me ask you a question. How long would you give your average baby to learn how to walk? You know, before you shut them off and didn't let them try anymore. You go, what are you, crazy? My kid's going to keep trying until he or she walks. Ah, magic formula. You know, almost everything in the whole world walks. Okay? So this is the ultimate success form. It comes down to knowing what you want, why you want it, taking massive action, know if it's working, and simply changing your approach until you get it. That's it. Anyone who succeeds does this. They may not call it Robin's ultimate success formula, but I guarantee they did it. An important example, Thomas Edison, these lights in here. Did this guy know his outcome, yes or no? Yes or no? He was absolutely clear without knowing the outcome. He couldn't have built that in a million years. It didn't exist before. He had to decide he wanted to create this result without the use of candles. Did he know why he wanted to do it? You bet. You read his writings. This man had a sense of incredible purpose and drive. Did he take massive action, yes or no? Oh, yes. Tens of thousands of experiments. Did he notice when it wasn't working and learn from it, yes or no? Did he keep changing his approach? That's why right now in this room we don't smell candlelight, right? Now, if you know the old story of him, it's written about him early, in his early days. He's got his best friend with him. He's doing this experiment, and as he's doing it, he creates a small explosion, which shakes the room, scares both of them very, very severely. And then at the end of that, he gets up, and his friend is totally shaken, freaked out. He pulls out his journal, and he starts writing. And his buddy says to him, what's the matter with you insane? You almost killed us. So you're going to wait till you have 10,000 failures before you give this stupid idea up? And Edison's response to him was, I didn't have a failure there. He goes, that's your 9,999th failure. He said, no, it's not. He said, I discovered the 9,999th way not to invent the electric light bulb. But I did discover how to create a small explosion, which may be useful in the future somewhere else. Uh, interesting, right? Because he understood what this process was. Hey, did Bruce Springsteen use this? Do you think he just went out and used his gravelly voice and said, hey, baby, born to USA, and everybody went, yeah, you're it, man. Is that what happened? No. What really happened, if you know his story, was that all the agents and people he went to try and book with said, just play the guitar and keep your mouth shut. Your voice is gross sounding. It's gravelly. It's irritating. No one is going to like the stuff. Keep your mouth shut and play the guitar. But he knew what he wanted. He had all the drive you can imagine. He knew why he wanted it. Took massive action. Kept changing his approach until he got what he wanted. How about uh, Sly Stallone, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky? Rocky's story is this even, right? 
But Slice is too. Slice is a good friend of mine. And when I first met him years ago, he listened to my tapes and stuff, and he invited me over for dinner. We started talking. And I said, you know, I've heard your story from other people, but I really love to hear it from the horse's mouth. I don't know how much is mythology and you know, urban myth and how much is true. So he told me his whole story. He said the essence of it, though, was he said he knew his whole life what he wanted to do since he was very, very young. He wanted to be in the movie business, period. I mean, not just TV, movies. And he, just, he said why was, for him, it was a chance to have people not only escape, but to inspire people. And by the way, that drive is what made most of his movies, inspire people to what they're capable of, to overcome unbelievable obstacles, because in his own life he felt like he did that. When he was born, he was pulled out by the forceps. That's why he looked the way he did. That's why he talked the way he did. And he said, so I really want to do that. And he said, I knew why I want to do it, and I wasn't willing to settle for anything else. And he said, what happened was I went out to try and get jobs, and it's not like I went, hey, Adrian, and they went, you, you're a star. It didn't work out real well. They looked at me and said, hey, you're stupid looking. Do something else. You know, what is it talking like this? There's no place for you in that stuff. You're never going to be a star in the movies. You're insane. No one's going to want to listen to somebody who looks dopey and talks out of the side of their mouth, right? And he got no after no after no after no. He said, I was thrown out more, more than 1,500 times of agents' offices in New York. I said, there aren't 1,500 agents in New York. He said, I know. I've been to them five, six, seven, eight, nine times. He said, I remember one guy, I went in there, and I got in there at 4 o'clock, and he wouldn't see me, so I stayed there, and I would not leave. And I stayed overnight. They came back the next morning. I was still sitting there. He said, that's how I got my first job. The guy said, fine, come in here. And he sat down, and he went through this, and he gave me my first movie. I said, oh, really? I thought Rocky was first movie. He said, no, this other movie, I never heard of it. He said, I said, well, what character do you play? He said, well, I was in it for about 20 seconds. I was a thug that somebody beat up. He said, because they made me feel like, you know, somebody, people hate your guts. You getting beat up, it'll be a good thing. And he did like three movies like that. Never got anything. Kept going out. Rejection, rejection, rejection. But finally he realized it wasn't working. So he changed his approach. He said, I was starving, by the way. He said, I couldn't pay for even to have heat in my apartment. My wife was screaming at me every day to go get a job. I said, well, why didn't you? He said, because I knew that if I got a job, he said, I'd get seduced back and I'd lose my hunger. He said, I knew that wow. And the story about uh, Sylvester Stallone can be found on the Internet. Um, you know, <laughs> we all have to start from somewhere. We all have to start from a moment in time. The whole thing and the reason that, you know, Dream Chasers is where we are today uh, is because I want to encourage you to start. And if you're in a, a moment where you feel like you can't continue, I want you to understand that you're not the only ones that that feel like that. You're not the only ones that feel like, my gosh, this is so hard. I never knew it was this hard. You're not the only one. I'm definitely not the only one. And definitely not, you know, so, so you know, we're not, we're not special people who have begun, people who have gone forward, people who are doing it. No one is really different in, in an aspect of being better than anybody else. It's more like we're just going to go for it. And however it happens, it happens, and, you know, just going for it. And so being that we're doing this as dream chasers makes us unique, makes us special, but it doesn't make us better than anyone. We're all going to have that up. We're all going to have that down. We're all going to go through it. And I know that my first guest knows just just as much as, as any other guest in this show knows that this is going to be a journey and it's not going to be easy. And, I, you know, that's why I always love to – 
to have different people that come on the show and, and tell us about their journeys and tell us what motivates them, you know. And, and the last guest, wow, what motivated her. If you didn't hear this, if you didn't hear this interview, you got to go back and hear it. You got to go back and hear it, you know. Uh, and so hey, we're going to go ahead and move on for our next guest on the show, T.R. Armstrong. I want to welcome her to the show. Thank you so much for being a guest on Dream Chasers Radio. Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. So, so tell me about yourself. Well, I am a writer, an author, and screenwriter. Um, I just published my book, The Power of Perspective. As you know, I am also working on a TV pilot um, called Thy Kingdom Come. Um, it's about a pastor who is a single father, and he has to deal with being thrust into the position after his wife is killed in a car accident of raising his children and leading a church. So I felt like that was something that was kind of missing on TV, something that could happen, you know, to kind of give people hope and, and motivation to see how he balances being a father, raising two children, as well as being the youngest pastor of a large congregation. So I'm pretty excited about um, pitching that right now. Um, I live in Texas. I am a mother of four. I am also divorced. I was going to go to law school, and about a week before starting, decided that I was going to abandon that, move west, and pursue my writing career. No problem. Me in a nutshell. (laughs) Wow. Okay, baby, we got to rewind. First of all, congratulations on, you know, being a mother of four and and just continuing in your life. Um, But you you said you were going to go to law school. And and wait a minute, you got to go back to that. What happened? You know what? I was, I'd always been writing, writing a little here, there. A few years ago, I started freelancing. I was ghostwriting for other people, doing little blog posts, and you know, I was getting a little traction. But you know, there's that that thing we have inside of us where doubt kind of takes over, and we start thinking about being realistic about life, quote, unquote, and, and, oh, well, you've got kids to raise. And, of course, my family, you know, my mom's a former drill sergeant. She was in the military for 21 years, a retired veteran. So in her mind, the thought of me doing something so insane was just, what are you doing? You're a mom. You've got kids to take care of. So I was, you know, moving forward with that and going, you know, towing the party line, I guess you can say, and and following in the footsteps of, what everyone told me I should be doing. And it just, I don't know. It was like, I just, I could not take that final step to go to law school because I knew if I did, that was going to be my life for the rest of my life. And I didn't want Mm -hmm. that. I didn't want that. I I knew that I would be absolutely miserable. Mm. And I just had Mm. to show my kids that, you know, sometimes you, you have to go against the grain. You have to, you know, stand out and stand on your own so that you can pursue your purpose and be the best person that you can be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go to law school, too, but then I said, I'm not very good at lying. I just thought, <laughs> like, what if you know something and you still have to represent this person or you decide to represent this person? I mean, me personally, when I lie, it's like all over my face. Like, yeah, you're not telling the truth. Are you? Yeah. Like, no. 
<laughs> oh, I hear you. I'm, I'm the same way. My friends tell me all the time, you have no poker face. It's like whatever it is yeah. I'm thinking, it's on my face. I don't see it, but I can see it on the faces of everyone around me. <laughs> right. So That's me. I, I wouldn't have been a good lawyer. <laughs> no, I, no, it's no. <laughs> that would not have been good for me. I would probably have been the one defending myself later on. It's because it would have been bad. Wow. So, so tell me about screenwriting and books and, and writing for books. Is there any difference? And if there is, what what is it? Because I don't know if people know that there there may be just a different format on how that is presented. Well, when you're a screenwriter, you really are at the beck and call of someone else in that you can write a screenplay, but if you can't get a meeting with a producer or you can't get a, you know, get the ear of someone who's in a position to help take that screenplay to the next level, it's just words on paper. And mm. so, you know, screenwriting, it's you're, you're writing something for either, you know, it could be Broadway, um, it could be television or it can be a movie it's something that's very structured every single thing that you see on television whether it's a commercial whether it's a tv show whether it's a movie netflix whatever there's a screenplay is where it started so someone had an idea and they they wrote out they created the characters you know with books there's so many possibilities for books there's nonfiction. There's, you know, you can um, make a fiction story, you know, you can make up something, you can create your own characters. You have so much more leeway in the, in the way of, of being an author. And now with self-publishing and things like Kindle and Nook and, and digital format, you have more control over your own destiny. You have more control over your story, where you're going. You don't have someone that's telling you, uh, you know, maybe we should tweak this a little bit. Or you could do whatever you want, and you don't have to answer to anyone else. You can tell your story your way. And I think that's mm. what I like most about being an author, is having that freedom mm. and flexibility to be exactly who I am without anyone else coming through with that red pen like teachers used to and scratching this out and, and making notes and, and kind of pushing you to where they want you to be or to the story they want you to tell. Mm-hmm. That is so true. That is so true. So, you know, being that you left, you left before you even started school, really, and you went and, and you started your journey on writing. How scary was that, though? I mean, you know, it was like, oh, I'm just going to be a writer. I'll just get this. You know, it came out like there would be things that would happen in my life, as you know, everybody, and it would be something that would nag at me. And I really didn't know, maybe, you know, I wasn't in therapy or anything. And and I would just grab a pen and I'd grab a paper or whatever was close to me and I'd just write out if I had a fight with my mother or if I had a fight with my husband and I would literally like write a letter to them or just write all the things that I couldn't get out in that argument. You know, I would write down and I felt better about myself. I felt better about it and it calmed me down. I thought, you know what? And then I, sometimes I'd go back and look at it and think, you know, this isn't worth bringing up again. You know, I'd kind of work through it with the writing, you know, and the more I did it, and then I would, you know, talk to friends and say, oh, you know, I did this, and they'd listen to what I write, and they go, you know, you're pretty good, you know, this is good advice, or, you know, that makes sense, and then I just kind of planted a seed, you know, in my head, but I really didn't have the, uh, I didn't have the courage 
at the time. It was just something that I was just doing. I knew I was going to do something. I just didn't know what, and I didn't know when. So this was years mm-hmm. in the making. And when I decided to take that, that step and pursue it full time, it was absolutely terrifying. Because I thought, this is going well, but what about next month? What about six months from now? What about a year from now? You know, so mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was dealing with that. I mean, it's a struggle because you're looking at your kids and thinking, these, I've got to feed them. They've got to eat next month. You know, we've got to have lights on. Got to have these things. Mm-hmm. Am I doing the right thing? But just the more that I talked to people and the more that I started to open myself up and share myself with people and what I was working on, the feedback that I got from them, it let me know that I was, that I was moving in the right direction, that what I wanted to do was, you know, was on the right track. Right. So it kept me going. Wow. Wow. You you know, talk about feedback. Feedback. You know, when we write something and and then we put it out there, the criticism, the feedback, how, I mean, how do you take that? Because sometimes it's positive and sometimes it isn't. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I, the first couple of jobs that I had as a freelancer, I got glowing reviews and I was feeling myself. I guess you could say like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. And I had a project and I thought I did a good job. And he said, we're done. You're fired. What? And he gave me a bad review. And I was wrecked. I was trying to, I was like, what does he think he, what is he talking about? I'm good. They said, and I had to humble myself put my ego in check and take a step back and realize, you know what, everything isn't for everybody. Everybody isn't going to like, and that is a difficult, difficult thing to swallow. You know that someone isn't going to like what you do because when I was ghostwriting, it was someone else's name on it. But now that I'm out there as myself, this is personal. You know, this is personal. Mm -hmm. This is me. I am opening myself up to you and giving you everything that I have and you basically just told me that I was crap. <laughs> you know, that, that, is, that is difficult, but you have to put things in perspective and you have to not really take it personally. At the end of the day, they don't know you. They don't know who you are. And everybody doesn't understand everything. You know, it can be a stranger. It could be a friend. You know, it could be anybody. I mean, it doesn't matter what's going on. You can talk to somebody that you've known forever and they just don't get it. They don't get what you're saying. They don't, you know, get what you're talking about. And you just kind of have to understand that and just keep it moving, I guess. Just keep that Mm -hmm. belief in yourself. Wow. So believing in yourself, going after your goals and your dreams, how difficult was it to walk away from law school and then begin your writing career? Did you go through any ups and downs? Were there moments where you just felt like this is, this is not going to work? <laughs> I, ab- absolutely. I mean, when things slowed down a little bit, there, you know, in the freelance market, there started to be a little bit more competition. It brought the prices down of articles. And, you know, so I had some repeat clients, but then I, I had people that were, charging so low and it was a price that it's like, I'm not going to do this article for 10 bucks. You're crazy. You're out of your mind. Like I can't, you know, so I would start thinking again, well, you know, maybe this isn't the right decision. Maybe I, you know, maybe this isn't sustainable, but I don't know. It's like you, you get there and you, you wallow in that for a little bit, but you just got to pull yourself out of it. I mean, I still think about it. I'm not even going to lie. Maybe 
two, three weeks ago. I called my cousin. I said, you know, I can come out to L.A., but maybe I should apply for law school just in case, you know, just in case, and, and see what happens. But mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? No, because the moment that I do that, I'm going to go out there, and I mean, law school is hard. It's not easy. It's not easy mm-hmm. by any means. And I go, no, I fight it every single day. So it's not mm-hmm. something that goes away. I'm not someone that, you know, people, they get to a place, and, and it seems like they don't ever worry about anything ever anymore. This is an everyday struggle. Every single thing that I write about in my book, every post that I make on my Instagram, um, on any of my social medias, it's something that I that came to me that morning. It, it's born out of a feeling, whether it was doubt, joy, whatever. Every single post. It's not something that I got somewhere else or that it's a quote that someone else. It is absolutely 100% from inside me. So when I talk about struggling and that tomorrow's a new day, that today's a new day, that's how I'm feeling in that moment. I struggle with it every single day, every single day mm. if I'm doing the right thing. But I have to trust myself. And I, have to, and I tell myself, I said, you know what? God did not give me this gift. He did not bring me this far for me to turn around, move back to North Carolina, be an attorney, and go that route. This is for a reason. You know, I have been pushing all of these things that have, you know, all the doors that have been open, big or small, everything that has been unfolding to this point, there is a reason for it. And I have to trust the process. I have to trust myself. And I can't give up on that. The second that I do, I am telling my kids that don't pursue your artistry, Victoria. You're not going to be a comic book, you know, designer. Don't worry about this, Kayla. You know, and I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to set that example for my children. I want to show them that if you really believe in something, then just, you know, you take the steps. It's a work in progress. You know, it's not going to mm-hmm. come easy, but it will come as long as you keep going. That's it. That's, right. that's it. You just keep going. You just have to push it aside, mm-hmm. those feelings and that doubt and trust in yourself. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, when you when did you figure it out that, this was going to work, and how did you, how did that moment come? Because you know, like sometimes we have that moment, that pivotal moment in our lives where we are like, I know me. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna use myself as an example because I know me. It's like when I get a phone call or when I get something happens and I go crazy and I start skipping around the house and jumping and screaming and hollering and going yeah. I mean, was it like that? <laughs> And it's so funny that you say that because I am notorious for doing a little dance in the kitchen or whatever, whatever you want to, I call it dancing, but whatever anybody else wants to call it in the kitchen when I get some news. And, you know, it's when I knew I started making little posts on my social media, I would get up and I would just feel in a certain way. And I just wanted, I felt like I needed to share it. And then Mm -hmm. I would start getting people. You know, people would start inboxing me, and people would start, oh, I love this. This is real. And I was like, wow, I wrote that, you know. Hmm. I would go out somewhere, and someone that maybe was friends on my social media, they would come up to me and go, you know what? And they started crying. Said, every morning I look forward to your – and I wasn't thinking about it like that. I was just posting. Mm-hmm. I was feeling good that, oh, I was going to – you know what? Today is a good day, and I am going to make it mine. And But I would have people come in, and literally the, the first time that someone came up to me and they had started crying, and they said how much I motivated them, it, mm. it struck something in me. 
and I thought, wow, this person, this is real. You know, mm-hmm. this is absolutely real. And then I would have someone come and say, you didn't post this morning. Is everything okay? What? I didn't, you know, I wasn't thinking about it. <laughs> and then I started to realize that people were actually looking forward to this. And, yes, these were, you know, people in my circle or whatever. But I go, maybe this is something, you know, there's something to this. If I am affecting people in this way, then maybe it's my responsibility to keep moving forward with this. So I started putting things together, looking into, you know, publishing and self-publishing. It was like, you know what, maybe I'll put all these little affirmations and passages together and, and just put them out there. You know, why not? You know, maybe they could do for other people what it did for me writing it. And it was mm-hmm. like I was getting the feedback that I was getting from people, even strangers, that people that I didn't know that well. It it just stirred something in me, and it just I just started writing more and writing more and writing more. And at that point, I think I knew this is my path. This is where I'm going. And I was having lunch with my uh, ex-husband. We're, you know, really good friends now. And I go, you know, I haven't shared this with you, but, you know, I've been writing a lot. And I started, you know, I read him a couple of things I had in my notes. Now, when we were married, he really never had anything nice or encouraging to say. And he looked at me and he said, that's fantastic. And he Mm. said, you think you're going to make this much of an impact? And he made a small thing. He goes, you're going to make this much of an impact. And that was when I knew that there was no going back. Because like I said, I've known this man 25 years. And that was probably the nicest thing he had ever said to me since I'd known him. And I knew that it wasn't blowing smoke you know, up my behind or, or whatever, because he's not that type of person. And it just, mm-hmm. having that kind of feedback from, from somebody that I guess is objective to a certain degree, it, it, it just sealed the deal for me mm. to move forward. Wow. To move forward with it. So, yeah, it was, um, it was powerful. You know, it was powerful. But there won't always be somebody there like that. No. You know, so for people that are struggling, it's just important to know who you are. You know, you Mm -hmm. have to know, you have to be strong in who you are. And if there is something that strong inside of you that is either pulling you toward or away from something, like people always say, I was drawn to this, I was pulled. Sometimes that exact same feeling, that exact same emotion is pulling you away from something. It's pulling you away from what they know isn't good for you what they know you don't need in your life anymore. That instinct and intuition, that is God and the universe pushing you. You know, those signs are always there. They're always there. Sometimes they're small, sometimes they're big. You know, you just have to listen to yourself, listen to what's going on in your heart, listen to what your soul is telling you. And, you Mm -hmm. know, it doesn't mean go and tell your boss to, you know, kick rocks and, you know, and quit your job tomorrow. But you can start doing those little things. You can start doing those little things that are going to set you up and put you in that position so you will eventually get there where you can, you know, pursue 100% that what you know mm-hmm. that your, you know, that your future is. Wow. 
Wow. And, you know, moving forward, you've grown a lot. What what can you say about yourself back in, you know, in the day where you decided you didn't want to be a lawyer until, and, and now today, that person that you are today, what is the biggest difference that you find in yourself since then? A lot of what I was doing was was born out of fear. I was just afraid. I mean, afraid of everything. You know, when I was married, I was afraid not to be married. And I stayed in a marriage probably 11 years too long because I was afraid of not being married. I didn't know that, you know, it was possible for me to be happy and have a life in the future without the husband, the kids, the house, and that life because that's what everybody told me. You need to be married. You need to do this. You need to have a good job. You need to. That was the life that, you know, was painted for me. That was the picture that was painted for me. And so to step outside of that in any way, it was absolutely terrifying in my mind. If I do this, this is going to fall apart. I'm going to fail. You know, I didn't have confidence in myself. I didn't have confidence in what I was capable of. And that is, you know, the biggest, the biggest difference in then and now. And it's, it just seems crazy because it's like now my life is unpredictable. My future is uncertain. But I am the most confident now that I have ever been in my life because I know now. I know who I am. I know who, you know, I'm in control of, which is myself. You know, I know that I have relevance in this world. You know, before I attributed him, I was a wife and I was a mother. I was nothing else, you know. Hmm. But as I grew, I learned that I am also myself. I am also an individual. And that doesn't take away from me being a good mother. It doesn't take away from me being a good wife to also focus on myself. And I think a lot of people think that if you focus on yourself, that you're selfish, that we confuse giving of ourselves with giving away ourselves. Yes. And there is absolutely a difference. You can give of yourself to someone. You can be there. You can support, but that doesn't mean giving away who you are. And that's mm-hmm. what I've learned. That's the difference between wow. then and now. Wow. And the power of perspective. Tell us about that book because, you know, a lot of people don't realize why I go through my interviews the way I do. Get to know the person and then you see the journey and why they do what they do. There's so many different reasons why we do what we do. And it just leads up from a point, a pivotal point in our lives where, like you did, you just turned away from law school. I mean, that's like amazing to me. You just like, I was like, uh, nah. <laughs> and so now, you know, um, just being that writer, being that person you've always wanted to be and going after your goals. Tell me about the book and how, and how, how do you fit in that book? I am, I am on every single page, (laughs) every Mm. single page. Um, When I started collecting my, my affirmations and I call them that, but you know, some of them are shorter, some of them are longer, but I was writing things to myself. It was basically this book is a love letter to me mm-hmm. at the end of the day, point blank, bottom line. And I absolutely go through and read, and I read out loud because, like I said, I struggle every single day. It's a work in process. Mm-hmm. You don't get somewhere. I see life like the earth. It doesn't stop. It's not flat. Believe it. It's not flat. You don't reach the end and fall off. 
It goes around and around. There's land, there's sea, there's waves across all of it. The same with life. It is always changing. It is always evolving. And you need mm-hmm. to be a part of that. So every single day I work on how I can continue to make progress, how I can continue to learn about myself, learn different things about myself, because the biggest mistake anyone can make is getting to a point and thinking that there's nothing else that they need to know. There's Mm -hmm. always something else to learn. Always. Yeah. And like I said, I am on every single page. Hmm. It's important to be on every single page, especially the book that you're, you're doing. Um, How is this book going to affect other people? Since you're on every page and it's affected you, what, what kind of an outlook do you, you, you know, you foresee for others? One of accountability, one of responsibility. It, it, I talk about everything in there, each of those passages. Some deal with uh, people that are passive-aggressive in your life. You know, some of them deal with, because we all have that person, we've all, some point in our lives, whether it was someone close to us or someone that we worked with or has dealt with someone who is, it, it's about when you have perspective. It gives you the wisdom and the knowledge to know when certain situations are coming your way or when certain interactions are going down a certain road. And if you have perspective, you have the strength to say, you know what, Mm-mm, I know where this is going. You, you have that, I'm going in this direction. You know, it gives mm-hmm. you the ability to take that step back so, don't, so you don't get pulled back in, sucked back in, to that negativity that you're trying to get away from, that you're trying to avoid. And I, I mean, I knew that it's impossible that whatever situations that I was going through, that I was the only one. There's got to be somebody somewhere out here who has dealt with a cheating spouse, who has dealt with raising their children, who has dealt with making a decision between duty and destiny, you know, mm-hmm. your, your obligations and, and, and your duty. Uh, aside from, you know, your passions and what it is you want, making that choice. Everybody struggles with that in one form or another, you know, in one form or another. But being that I used myself and my experiences, it wasn't something I thought about. It was just, like I said, it was coming out, pouring out of me. That's where the sincerity is. I didn't sit and think, hmm, I wonder what would happen if this situation happened. Yeah, that's how... It wasn't like that. It was something would happen, and I would be so full of fire inside that I would just boom, 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 you know, start writing, mm-hmm. start writing, you know. Mm-hmm. And it just, and like I said, I was like, um, this is something I think that people will get something from. I think this is, you know, mm-hmm. this here is, is a passion that would help, you know, someone if they're going through adversities or struggles at the time or, you know, like I said, dealing with, um, you know, anything coming their way that, that's negative and, and toxic and how to kind of basically build a force build around yourself. I think that's what perspective does. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember after my husband and I were no longer together and he called one day and he goes, you know, I'm sorry I couldn't be the man that you, that you needed. And I, I stopped him. I said, let me stop you right there. Listen. I choose to look back at our relationship at the good, and I choose mm. to leave behind the bad when I look back mm. at us. And to be honest, mm. I have responsibility in this because you can't cheat on somebody ten times if they don't take you back nine. So 
after after that you know after someone does something no matter what it is and you know what they're capable of but you continue to go back you've got to take responsibility for that because you are yeah. then you're like you know what I know what you're capable of I know what you're about but I'm still going to let you do it you know that's not hmm. them anymore that's you because you have the knowledge and the knowledge is where the power is it's what you do with that knowledge right. that gives you the power back and hmm. that's you know and that's where I was and that's what this book was it was me taking my power back and I think that it will also help other people take their power back. There are so many variations of situations in there and it applies to everybody. Mm-hmm. Well I really, really want to thank you for writing this book, uh, for helping other people to affirm their lives as well as, you know, you being on every page and being transparent in this book. Uh, where can people reach you? Where can they purchase the book or look at the book or find the book? Yeah, um, the book is on Amazon right now, so it can be downloaded. The paperback will be out in about a week for those old school like myself who likes to have that, that paper um, in hand. But it is available on Amazon.com. So it's The Power of Perspective. You could put in either T.R. Armstrong or The Power of Perspective, Gaining Clarity, Purpose, and Truth Through Affirmation. Um, there are also links available on my social media. Uh, my Facebook is T.R. Armstrong. It's not private, so you can go and you can see uh, my entire page. Also, my Instagram, it's not private. It's at trarmstrong.author, A-U-T-H-O-R. There's a link to purchase the book on there as well, and lots of new affirmations. Every day I put something up on there um, that's just motivating and inspiring and just comes out of whatever experience. So there's a lot of good stuff on there. And also my Twitter, which is at trarmstrong.com. Um, a, yeah, it's just an A. So it's T.R. Armstrong A on Twitter. Yeah. So they can go there and read more, and there's a link to purchase the book. Awesome. We have all that in our uh, in our box, our description box. So please, if you uh, didn't get that, go ahead and uh, copy and paste this into your browser. And definitely anything today that we didn't cover that you'd like to say to the people, to the listeners? No, you were really thorough, which is which is wonderful. I think you've given a well-rounded view of who I am. Just, you know, whatever it is that you think that you're going through, you will get through it. I mean, that is one thing that I know because I've been at the top and I've been, I think, below the surface <laughs> of the bottom and every place in between. Um, but I want to thank you so much for having me, Yaya. Um, it was a great interview. I appreciate you letting me share my story. And getting that out there. Definitely. You know, we all have to help each other. And like I always say, we're all intertwined. And I am now such an honor. I'm honored to be a part of your journey. Thank you so much for including me. Thank you so much for helping me, giving me a platform to share it. I think what you're doing with Dream Chasers Radio is absolutely fantastic. I think that right now, collectively, people everywhere are in a place where they are searching for something. They are needing mm-hmm. something. And Dream Chasers Radio is helping to give them that. I think it's it's helping. They've already got that nagging voice, but you're kind of helping to nudge them like, you know what, do it. Yeah. <laughs> you're moving yeah, in the right direction. It. That's right. Leave, leave law school. Just leave. Yes. 
Exactly. <laughs> and we need we need more yayas out there. We need more, you know, positive things out there for people to see. We you know, we want people to be chasing memories and milestones and not, you know, experiences instead of financial things and material things. You know, memories, yep, exactly. you know, that's what we need people searching for, because when you have that, you don't need the Lamborghini. <laughs> you don't need yeah. to have all that extra stuff when you found nope. that within yourself, you know, when you found that inner Lamborghini, you know what I mean? You don't need it on the outside. You don't need that validation from people on the outside because you validate yourself want- every day. Yeah, no, I, I don't want a Lamborghini. No, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I know I'm that's right. <laughs> Some people say, yeah, yeah. So what's your dream car? I said, I'm driving it. And they're like, really? <laughs> a Kia? They look at me and they go, a Kia? I go, yeah. I, I've always liked Kia. Uh, I, I got a Kia Sorento 2008. I'm loving it. I love it. It's not a commercial. They're not, they didn't pay me to do that. That's just what yeah. I drive. And it's my dream car. That's what I wanted. I even have a picture up on it in my, in my, in my board, you know, uh-huh. on my board. <laughs> my image. This is what I want. I got am it. not and mad at you. <laughs> I am not mad at you. I've got my little Kia Soul. People say, "How do you get?" So that car is a lot more roomy than you would imagine. Mm-hmm. And this car, I love this car. Yep. There will be no wheels left when I'm done with this car. That's how long I'm going to drive this thing. <laughs> I know that's right. Well, thank you so much, Yaya. I really, oh, really enjoyed talking to you and. I hope that your listeners get something from this. So that that's yeah. that's what I'm doing it for. Awesome, awesome. Well, if you guys have been listening to T.R. Armstrong, author and screenwriter, that's right, The Power of Perspective, don't forget to join her on her social media. And we do have that down there below in our description box, as well as going to Amazon to get her book. Uh, T.R. Armstrong, thank you again so much for being on the show. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. We've had two writers, different backgrounds, but both of them are inspiring not only me, but everyone that comes through their path, it goes across their path, to go, to jump, to do it, no matter the circumstances, no matter what the outcome, no matter why they've chosen to do it. Tragedy. Love, um, just going after their dreams and and being an inspiration. I want to thank both my guests, Marcy Stone and T.R. Armstrong, for being on the show today. And that's going to be it for us today at Dream Chasers Radio. I thank you so much for tuning in and being an avid listener. Please don't forget to join us on our Facebook page, Dream Chasers Radio, as well as Twitter, Dream Chasers Radio, and Instagram. Let us know what you think about the show. Join me, follow me on Instagram, the Yaya Diamond, or Twitter, the Yaya Diamond. You can also go ahead and like my page. The Yaya Diamond on Facebook. Um, just put in Yaya Diamond. And if you have any, um, any, you know, preconceived notions as to who Yaya Diamond is, just hit me up and I'll let you know. I'll send you the link. And you can go, also go to my website, dreamchasersradio.com, and uh, subscribe to our newsletter, which will be out within the next week or so. And we're going to have some wonderful, wonderful people in the newsletter and also um, 
just a lot of different information and things. If you want to be a part of Dream Chasers Radio, don't hesitate to email us at dreamchasersradio at gmail.com, dreamchasersradio at gmail.com. And I'm going to go ahead and call it a day. I have a show I have to do today. You guys know not only am I um, not only am I the host of Dream Chasers Radio, but I'm also a dream chaser. And, you know, I mean, think about it. Why, why would I even have this show? If I, too, were not chasing my dream. And so here I go. I'm going to go. You're going to go. We're all going to go and chase our dreams. And we're going to say Geronimo. And until next time, guys, don't forget to what? That's right. Dare to be different, baby.